a number, number of years ago, I got certified as a, as a scuba diver. Um, I got certified in a, in a warm place with tropical waters. And living in Vancouver means that, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunities to go diving unless you're, you know, pretty, pretty keen and pretty robust. So it means that between dives, I'd have often years long uh, of, of a gap before diving again. And you kind of forget how things work and you get a bit disoriented. So sure enough, it'd been a couple of years since I'd been on a dive and uh, I was somewhere I could go diving again. So I signed up for the for experience and the instructor has a quick, you know, uh, debrief of how it's all going to work. And it says, hey, everybody feels okay? We're like, yeah, let's go for it. So we get into the water and we're going down, down, down. And there at the bottom uh, floor uh, under the sea, we all like check in. How are we all doing? Thumbs up. And we give us that thumbs up and it comes to me and I do a thumbs down. <laughs> and I, I point to my ear and I'm like, ah, I wasn't able to equalize. So like uh, you need to have like the pressure kind of in your head match the pressure of the water. And if it doesn't, doesn't work, you know, it's, it's a painful experience. So I signal to the, the guide, I, I gotta go, I gotta go back up. And so sure enough, we go up together and I take off my respirator and I feel so deflated. I'm just like, oh, come on now. Like, uh, I really wanted to do this. And I feel torn in that moment of what to do next. Take a deep breath and say, okay, let's try that again. But I say, you know what? I think, I, think, uh, I think I'm out. I was waiting the boat and you guys can have a, have a good dive. And I feel like often our experience of faith can feel like that, where you dive in, things, things look like they're going to be exciting and you know, it's going to be an adventure. And then some, some pressure kicks in and your inner life and outer life don't always balance out. And so you kind of resurface and think, wait, what am I going to do here? Am I going to re-engage and reconstruct kind of a, a way of doing faith? Or am I kind of done? Am I kind of finished? Am I, am I through with it all? Through this, I think, uh, pandemic, we've been stressed in all, all kinds of ways that have been unique, whether it's time just isolated by our own or a long history of not being able to meet together in spaces like, like this. And as a pastor, I get a lot of windows in people's lives to talk about how is the experience of faith going. And a lot of those chats, people have said, yeah, things feel a bit, a bit tenuous. Like, I feel a bit fragile in my connection uh, with God. It's, it's not hard to imagine you know, how that would come about. So for the next uh, five weeks as a, as a church community, we're going to try and do a, a series on frail faith. What are some of the things that can be deconstructive influences in the life of faith. Things like silence or suffering or, or apathy. And for today, we're looking at the, the idea of, of doubt. How sometimes big, big questions can make our faith feel more fragile or more frail and more susceptible to being deconstructed. So if you're here in the room today and you feel like, man, I've just got some niggling doubts in my story of faith. Good news, you've got good company. Uh, I've never met a person in a story of faith who didn't have a, a battle with, with doubts. And we're going to read a story today from one of the, the paramount figures of trusting God, Moses, and how he really is a skeptic when he comes to try and figure out what God wants from him. So we're going to read this text from Moses 3 and 4. And to set the context, Moses comes across this 
strange sight. It's a, it's a bush that's on fire that's not being consumed. And Moses comes over to this strange mystery. And from this bush, God speaks to him. And they have this back and forth conversation, which is a fascinating dialogue, which we're going to read about uh, here today. Exodus 3 and 4. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. So now go, I am sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? And God said, I will be with you. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? At this point, there's a kind of a series of divine signs that God offers Moses to try and confirm his presence and his power. But it's not super effective because Moses then says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Now in that little back and forth exchange between Moses and God, there's a whole bunch of hesitations, insecurities, and, and doubts that gets, gets addressed. And probably for some of us in this room, we hear the context you know, that God comes to speak to a person through a burning bush. And we think, I'm out. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. Like, really, is everyone in this room okay with that? That it's, it's a flaming tree having a conversation with a person and we're all going to tune in? I, I, I think that it's worth kind of asking, what is this story trying to communicate? Why is this story in the scripture? What do we have that we can learn from this? And despite whatever doubts we might have to try and investigate the story with some, some curiosity. My, my guess is that for, for each of us, our experience of doubt feels a little bit different. I think for some of us, it feels like a, a shoulder shrug, like a casual kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And for others, it feels more intense, more bordering on despair or has a kind of a mental paralysis. And there's, there's a famous uh, painting by Caravaggio where he, he depicts what it's like when the apostle Thomas touches the resurrected Christ. I think this is a great depiction of, of the longing of doubt. I just want to touch something real, something that could be verifiable and, and true. And, and I think whatever space, you know, we might be in for, for our doubts, that longing probably is the same for us. We want to just touch something real. And I think this story of Moses with this back and forth with God gives us a couple, two really good handholds to kind of hang on to when we're having an experience of doubt. So let's get right to it. And I think the first handhold that God offers to Moses and to all of us is, is solidarity. That the very first thing that God says when he encounters Moses is, I have indeed seen the misery I've heard, I'm concerned, and I have come down. I think that's 
really helpful. The first thing God says is not kind of, do you know all my attributes of how amazing I am or my historic deeds? He just says, hey, I see it. I get it. And I want to be involved. I think he says that to each of us today, that he sees the mess of our situations, you know, the, the disconnections in our lives. And he says, hey, I want to be a part of it. I want to be involved. I want to have some solidarity. My, my kids are, are all little, uh, seven, four, and two. And so when we go to the, the playground, they all have a different level of playground savviness. So some of them are, are very skilled to keep maneuver and kind of do their little show-off moves. Others get in like a precarious situation in a matter of seconds where they're hanging by a bar, screaming out in, in panic. But for both the kids that are kind of feeling comfortable and the ones that are not feeling so good, they have something in common. They both just keep looking back at me for a little verification of like, hey, you're still with me, right? And you're still watching this? And are you feeling what I'm feeling? Whether it's excitement or panic, and are you willing to kind of step in and be a part of this with me? I think when we have an experience of doubt, that's, that's the feeling. We long for some feedback. You're like, you're feeling this, right? This disconnection or this question. And you're with me in this, right? And when Moses offers this towards God and God says, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. It's just not clicking into place. It's not shifting his, his experience. But I think, honestly, it's quite profound that when you come to God with a question, with a doubt, he may not always, you know, offer an answer or a solution, but he does always offer presence, this idea of, of solidarity. A little while ago, I was with a, a friend of mine and uh, my friend's given to have panic attacks. You know, often it starts, you know, in the mind where things start to feel a little bit more heavy and then it works into the body and their body becomes really tense, you know, and they kind of lose control physically and their breathing becomes really shallow and really quick. And I was, I was with them when a panic attack set in. And so I just said, hey, what can I, what can I do to help? And they were able to say, just hold my hand, help me breathe. So, so what I did, I just, I held their hand and I tried to have big, slow breaths that we could kind of share in together. And slowly that panic kind of subsided. I, I wish I would have had something more sophisticated to offer, something more impressive, but it was just kind of holding a hand and offering some breath. But then in talking about it afterwards, they said, you know, sometimes that's the thing that helps when you're kind of moving through a place of panic, just touching something real, this, this picture of solidarity, of being seen and knowing that you're, you're not alone. And I think it's true for all of us in, in our doubts that we can offer this towards each other, something that we could see in each other to try and touch something real together and say, hey, we're not alone in this kind of misaligned connection. For, for Moses, when it comes back to God again, saying like, hey, I'm just, I'm not feeling any kind of consolation by your line, I'll be with you. God is something pretty unique and he shares his name. For the first time in human history, God discloses how he's to be referenced. And he says, I am who I am. And at, at first blush, it's not very satisfying. He's just like, really? Like, isn't that kind of a given? Like, oh, what does that even mean? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? 
But I think if you're lost in a place of doubt, this is actually really helpful. I am that I am. The first thing that God wants us to know about him is that he's present. He's always been present through every experience, every disconnection, every pain, every doubt. He is the present one. He sees it all and he wants to be involved in it all. What does it mean for God to be God? It means for him to be present, for him to be I am who I am. When I was in university, I had my, my, my deepest disconnection with faith where, where doubts just kind of flooded my mind, kind of took over. And uh, I was studying philosophy in my undergrad. I just thought, I'm not sure the Bible makes sense. I'm not sure it's trustworthy. I'm not even sure how to interpret my own experience of God. Is it, is it radically subjective? Was it socially constructed or manipulated? How do I figure out if that stuff is real or legitimate? And I didn't have like a, an epiphany experience that kind of changed that for me. But, but bit by bit, like puzzle pieces coming together, I started to see how the things in life that felt meaningful or viable to me, things that we should offer each other forgiveness, we should try and pursue a life of, of mercy, to bless each other, to try and help each other. That we should try and do what we can to live connected and pursue beauty and create art in the world. That all these things had to have some sort of a foundation, some sort of a stand on which to be based. Uh, an I am that I am, a, a place of presence. And it was kind of by putting those little pieces together that God came for me, that foundation of being, for all the little things I thought were meaningful or valuable weren't little flashes, but were things that were held by the very presence of God. I think that's not true for everybody, that same experience, that as you kind of look at the things that you hold meaningful, that God becomes the thing that connects it all. Sometimes people feel the opposite in faith, that things become more disparate and more separated. And I went for a walk this last week with a friend of mine named Brad and, and Brad's had a, a long history of, of having significant doubts in his faith. And we talked about this idea of, of God's presence. And Brad said that one of the things that's hardest for him is to really believe that God's presence is, is real, that it's actual and not just kind of uh, imagined or, or in his mind. And as we were talking together, we kind of were saying, maybe this is something that actually we're implicated in together with each other, that part of the project of, of holding faith is that we show up for each other as the presence of God. That maybe that's why spaces like this kind of matter, that when we're as, asking questions, is God really with us? Is he really observing our lives? Is he really involved? You can look left, you can look right and say, well, I'm not alone in this space. There are others who could communicate or be a means of God's presence to me. I think that's really valuable and really important that we could be the agents to communicate God's solidarity to, to each other. I think if you're here today thinking like, man, I've, I've got some questions, some gaps in my experience of faith. I think it's really important to try and lean into a person who's around you and try and say, would you help plot this out with me? To have a conversation. Talk to a friend. You can email Craig or that Connect card, you know, or talk to someone in your life to say, hey, I think this stuff matters. 
I need help trying to hash it out and to figure out what kind of alignment there might be. We're, we're in this together. And this handhold of, of solidarity, I think, is really critical to mapping away through the, the fog of doubt. Okay, so that first bit, uh, solidarity. The, the second handhold, I think we find in this story, this exchange between God and Moses, is the gift of, of perseverance. Now, if you're in a space of, of doubt today, and someone says to you, persevere, it's kind of the last thing you want to hear of like, really? Just keep going? It feels so demotivating. But think of the context for this, this story. Um, Moses is in the wilderness. It's, it's a wild, chaotic place. And he sees something strange, something weird. And in his curiosity, he moves towards it and he investigates it. And there, out of this weirdness, out of this strangeness, God speaks. It, it could just be that as we persevere through our doubts and the things that feel wild and strange, that that could become the very avenue through which God might speak to us. That by persevering, perhaps there'd be some new process unfolded or discovered. My, my brother uh, lives in, in Florida and uh, he's a philosopher. Uh, he's actually an epistemologist, which means he, he specializes in how do you know that you know? So what makes for a, a warrant of belief? And so he's, he's an expert on doubt. And so I, I talked to him and said, hey, John, how does, how does this work with faith and doubt and what's kind of their relationship? And he said, faith is, is less about, you know, prescribing to a set of propositions that you think are, are true or kind of uh, giving mental assent to certain realities. Faith is about having some sort of long-term goal that you keep moving towards. It's about a, a long obedience in the same direction. That essentially, faith boils down to perseverance. And regardless of spirituality, any long-term goal you have will require faith. A sense of, I want to move towards that objective. I'm going to hit obstacles. I'm going to hit doubts. I'm going to have questions. But I'm going to keep going. And one of the best kind of, you know, factors in figuring out outstanding achievement is resilience. People's ability to persevere through difficulty, to, through being uh, gritty, through things that kind of throw us off. For, for Moses, he tries to keep engaged with God. He tries to, to persevere, but doesn't really ease his sense of discomfort. It really kind of continues. He distrusts his own experience you know, of this flaming bush. Those personal signs that God gives him, you know, aren't verifiable. And really he thinks that his wiring might be incompatible with the project in front of him. Like, I think that's a great picture of how our doubts can feel and, and can look. But think of what happens to Moses. Again, he becomes the example for all of us of what it means to trust God, uh, the paramount picture of faith. That perhaps perseverance to just keep moving through the back and forth, the questions, the doubts, is the very project of faith. Uh, a little while ago, I, I ran into a, an old Anglican priest and he had a beard, you know, down to here and he walked with a limp and he talked like a poet. I thought he was the coolest guy ever. And uh, we met up a few times and uh, struck up a friendship. And so eventually I said, hey, what if we went out for, uh, for a drink together someday and just got to know each other? 
a little bit more. I said, I'd love that. So we go out to the, uh, the Regal Beagle in uh, Kitsilano and sit down and I order a beer and he's like, I'll have a shot of Jameson. It's like, oh, we're getting pretty intense here. All right. So uh, we're having a chat and he kind of leans in and says, so tell me, Dan, uh, how's it going as a young pastor? I said, oh, it's, it's good. Yeah, I think it's, it's going well. Um, but like, honestly, I'm, I'm just a bundle of insecurities and hesitations. I've got all kinds of questions in me. I'm just not sure I'm even in, in the role and job I, I should be. I just don't know what to do with that. He says, well, I'll pray for you. I said, thank you. He said, I'll pray that never changes. And I almost spit up my drink. And uh, like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? He says, think about this. You think that's what you need to be a person of perfect assurance, of, of complete confidence? That would not enable you to, to bless others and be a pastor. It's your weakness that makes you dependent upon God in those gaps that you feel that hunger and that desperation. That's the place you can bless the world in the places that you feel fragile and you feel frail. Now, I've tried to keep my beard ever since that day to try and emulate, you know, this, this wisdom from, from that elegant priest. But I haven't forgotten that conversation. And I think it's true that God would say to all of us, and maybe we should say this to each other, hey, what are the doubts that you feel? What are the questions that you hold? And what's the storyline behind those? How is that unique to you? What's the longing that's attached to that doubt? And how could that doubt be a place of, of growth and development of formation for you. There's, there's one last thing I want to share with us about this uh, perseverance handhold of how to hang in there with, with our doubts. And it's the last thing that God says to Moses. He says, now go, I will help you. That when we're kind of in these questions around faith, I think sometimes being in movement, kind of being in the motions of faith actually is helpful for trying to solve some of the questions and some of the disconnections. Quite recently, I had, I had a wave of doubt kind of crash into me again, where I was just wondering, wait, what, what has my experience of God been of late? Like, have I felt his presence? And what am I talking about when I say that? And I, I love this guy named Nick Cave, who's an Australian uh, singer, songwriter. And he's not a Christian, but he's, He's very curious about spiritual matters. And he's got this famous song that the opening line is, I don't believe in an interventionist God. And the whole song goes on to be a, a prayer for grace. I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, and he has this thing where his fans can like write in questions, you know, about his life or whatever else. And he'll respond, you know, in his blog. So when I had this kind of feeling of, of doubt and some disconnection, I went on to Nick Cave's blog and here's, here's what I read from one of his fans named Sue. Sue says, Nick, in your opinion, who is God? And Nick writes, dear Sue, God is love. Every one of us, even the most spiritually resistant, yearns for love, whether we realize it or not. And this yearning calls us forever towards this objective that we must love each other. We must love each other. And there is barely any distance between a feeling of neutrality towards the world and a crucial love for it. Barely any distance at all. In reading that, it was incredibly helpful for me that 
I wasn't trying to do like a 180 in my doubts. I was just trying to turn a dial, a notch. And again, not towards a proposition or a mental assertion, but towards a path of love. That faith is primarily about a commitment to love, to engage in a pattern of love that looks like Jesus. And that's worth the persevering. It's, it's worth the effort. It's worth giving that a go again and again. It's worth wrestling because love matters in the world to try and hash it out in our own experience and the experience of others. I read this little bit online the other day where it said, in the Gospels, Jesus is asked 187 questions. He answers maybe eight of them. He himself asks 307 questions. So maybe faith is about learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions. That was a mind blow for me. Like, oh, that's incredible. That's not trying to wrestle this into a neat package. But maybe faith is about having a dialogue, even a debate, a wrestle with God to try and figure out how is this relationship touching something real? And to believe that happens in the context of solidarity with true perseverance. I'm, I'm encouraged that from the story of Moses, through his doubts, through this back and forth, this, this kind of tedious rehashing of kind of doubts and hesitations, something is learned. Moses comes to discover more of who God is. And I think that's true for each of us in our spaces of doubt, that as we keep hashing things out, keep chipping away, things become more clear. We've got a really big tree of faith. We've got a millennia of history to draw off of. People who have tried to chisel out this thing of what does it mean to trust the way of love as we see it in Jesus? The book of Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. I think that's part of our job when we gather together. We, we offer mercy to each other and we offer a common prayer of saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we try and navigate that space of our frail faith with solidarity and with perseverance. And when I was bobbling up there on the surface after that scuba dive attempt, my instructor said to me, hey, come on, let's try and do it again. I'll do it with you. Took a few deep breaths. <sighs> All right, put my respirator in. And then we went down, down, down. And the same thing happened. I couldn't equalize. And he looked at me at the bottom of the floor there, gave me the thumbs up and said, you want to keep going? And I thought for a minute, I gave the thumbs up back. I said, yeah, I don't want to miss this dive. I want to keep going. And it was honestly a pretty painful dive. Like it, it hurt, but it was honestly immensely beautiful. And I loved it. And I think it's a picture of what faith can look like to, to re-engage, to dive again, even amidst some of the, the awkwardness, the pain of it, the big doubts to persevere because we're not alone. There is one who is with us who says, I am with you. And that can change the very context of our fears. I thought we could end today by having a moment of prayer. And let me encourage you to bow your heads with me. Let me try and guide us through a, a response to how we can offer these, uh, these doubts we might feel towards God. So maybe as we do pray, do you feel like you're, you're holding some doubts today? 
some questions, some uncertainties that make your faith feel frail. And let's just take a minute and talk to God right now about the gaps you feel in faith. God, we want to invite you into our questions. And we ask for your, your help, for a sense of your presence, a sense of your solidarity with us. And when that feels hard to access, help us experience your presence through each other. Give us, give us courage to, to persevere, to keep going, to engage with our doubts, to engage in dialogue with you, and to find that as we do persevere, you persevere right there alongside of us. Grow our faith and may our doubts become generative for us, leading us into an experience of solidarity, of perseverance, even when our faith feels frail. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.